Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. This episode contains disturbing content, including mentions of death, suicidal ideation, sexual violence, and child abuse. Please take care while listening. Cats. On a rainy winter day this past January, I drove to Calusa, California in the midst of a flood watch. Calusa is a small town just north of Sacramento. I almost canceled my trip due to the weather, but I didn't because I really wanted to talk to Kathy Sutton about her daughter, Michelle. She's a beautiful girl. She's just beautiful inside and out. In 1990, Michelle was 15 years old. She had braces and bright blonde hair with feathered bangs. She loved to draw and play the piano. Her thoughts were occupied with things like getting her driver's license and buying cool new clothes. I know this because she wrote about it in her journal. Here's her mother, Kathy, reading some of it. When I get out of here, I'm going to get a job and earn my car and buy a new wardrobe. I hope I sleep good tonight. Michelle wasn't at home when she wrote this. She was in the desert, somewhere close to the Arizona-Utah border, She was with four other teenagers and two counselors at a wilderness therapy program called Summit Quest. It was advertised as an outdoors camp that would reform troubled teens by exposing them to nature. Michelle wrote a lot in her journal about all the things she planned to do when she got out of Summit Quest, but she would never get out. Instead, her life was cut short at the age of 15. Michelle left for Summit Quest on May 1st, 1990. And she went into the camp, and then Michelle died May 9th. Michelle seemed healthy when she went into Summit Quest, but after only one week in this program, a program that was supposed to help her, Michelle was dead. How is that possible? What happened to her? This is what her mother, Kathy, wanted, needed to know. But the explanation that Summit Quest gave Kathy for how her daughter died did not make sense. We were waiting for an autopsy results. We were waiting for the detective's report. The Bureau of Land Management did their own investigation. At the same time, we're talking to Gail Palmer and hearing her version of everything. And in her eyes, Michelle wanted to die. Gail Palmer, the woman who started and ran the program Summit Quest, told Michelle's parents that Michelle had a death wish, that she had wanted to die. Now, Kathy would be put in the position of wondering what and who to believe. State officials, law enforcement, Gail Palmer. She had a death wish, that she was doing drugs, that she probably had some serious ailment. There's something really wrong here. Death wish, heart problems, what is going on? The director of Summit Quest, Gail Palmer, is still putting out the fires. The death certificate says Michelle died from dehydration, from exposure to the elements. I have talked to a number of experts who 
have said that yes, that can be hydration, dehydration, but it can also be symptoms associated with drug usage. Michelle died almost 100 miles from civilization, with very few people present to witness what happened. Her official cause of death was listed as dehydration, but even that would be called into question. What really happened at Summit Quest? You know, I I wish I was more of a writer, because I do have a very good story to tell, and I would probably name it The Deadly Mirage, because in my mind and in my heart, the program that we sent Michelle to turned out to be a deadly mirage. For those who knew Michelle, her death would have a lasting impact. I just know after she passed, my whole life changed. (laughs) Nothing was ever the same. So it's just hard. Everybody changed. I've thought about Michelle all of my grown-up days. I've wished for my sister. I've wished for the relationship that we could have had. What would Michelle's death reveal about Summit Quest? How did she die after only being there for nine days? Was it a tragic accident or part of a more sinister pattern emerging in the rapidly growing wilderness therapy industry? From Cast Media, this is The Opportunist. This is season seven, episode one. Gail Palmer, The Deadly Mirage. I'm Hannah Smith. Subscribe to Cast Plus to listen to all episodes of Season 7 of The Opportunist ad-free now at castmedia.com slash castplus. Follow, rate, and review The Opportunist on Apple Podcasts. You can also listen ad-free on Amazon Music. Michelle Sutton was born on October 29, 1974. She was the third child of Kathy and Bob Sutton. Before Michelle went to the program, we were just the average everyday family. And the boys were in baseball and Cub Scouts or Boy Scouts. And the girls were involved in piano lessons. And just very busy mom I was. Kathy and Bob raised their family in the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, or the Mormon Church. I should note that the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints no longer recognizes the term Mormon, but I am going to use it in this podcast for the sake of clarity. One message that Kathy and Bob received from their church was to have as many children as they could afford. Now be fruitful and multiply and replenish the earth is one of the things that they you know, counsel people in the church. (laughs) And so my parents took that to heart, (laughs) and that's how we got the eight children. This is Christina, the second oldest of the eight children, right above Michelle. The Suttons lived in Pleasanton, California back then, a small, safe suburb of San Francisco, the kind of place where the kids could just take off on their bikes and ride all over town. The Suttons were this big, happy family, and Michelle was kind of the star. Michelle, as a young child, was just a delight. She snagged everybody's hearts. She, there was no doubt in anybody's minds, including all of us kids, that she was my parents' favorite. We all knew that our parents loved us. They did a wonderful job, but there's just no hiding the fact that Michelle was 
just the favorite. They were a close-knit family. They had regular game nights. And every summer, the kids looked forward to their annual family camping trip. Bob worked for an elevator company, and Kathy was a stay-at-home mom, raising their growing family. Christina describes Michelle as social, fun, charismatic. She liked to goof off and tell jokes. Everyone liked Michelle. Sometimes I was jealous of that, you know. She got along a little easier with even some of my friends than I did. And that would make me so mad because they were my friends. They were here to visit with me. (laughs) That was just that sibling rivalry. When all you have left of someone are memories, often you cling to the good ones. But there are also memories that maybe haunt you a little bit, like this one. We were very sheltered as kids. You know, we didn't get a lot of outside influences. These girls had a little more experience. They came over and they introduced us to this game called Press on Your Chest Until You Pass Out. And we tested it out on Michelle. Let's see, if I was 14, she was probably about 10, maybe 11. Even at 14 years old, Christina had the innocence of a child. She inherently trusted others, like these girls from the neighborhood. And she watched as they told Michelle to hold her breath and they pressed on her chest. And she passed out and it freaked, freaked me out so bad. I was so scared. Oh my gosh, my sister. Anyways, we shook her and shook her, and she woke up, of course, you know, but it was, I was so mad at them. And I was mad at myself for letting them, yeah, you know, I didn't, I was, it was just one of those stupid moments as a kid, you know. Christina brought this memory up to me unprompted when we were talking, and it was very emotional for her. I wondered why she was telling me about this particular memory. But it kind of makes sense, because It was a moment in time when the safe cocoon of her childhood was broken open by the cruelty of strangers. And as a result, her sister Michelle got hurt. And that time, Michelle was fine. Later, she would not be. Christina and Michelle lived a very wholesome, sheltered life, a good life, but one that perhaps didn't prepare them for how mean the world can sometimes be. Around high school, Michelle started to struggle. She went from that very insulated, conservative home life to a public high school. It was a big transition, and suddenly she wasn't the cheery, agreeable Michelle that she'd always been. Here's her mother, Kathy, again. There was drugs being distributed there, and, you know, some kids fell into it and others didn't. Michelle was one who minutely was experimenting with the drugs and alcohol and just being a typical teenager at that time. Michelle was lightly experimenting with substances, drinking with some of her new high school friends and smoking weed occasionally. At least once, she snuck out of the house without telling her parents. I think she ran away twice, and we were trying to figure out what's going on. You know, and she, The second time she ran away, we found her down the street from where her high school was in the backyard of someone's home, and I don't remember who, but she was sitting on top of a picnic bench. That night, they brought Michelle back home, and she opened up to her parents about something terrible that had happened to her. She told them that one night, she was hanging out with friends, having a couple drinks. She was sitting in the back of a truck with a boy from school, and he raped her. 
She said no, and he didn't stop. So she had told us what had happened in great detail. That she, So we did. We took her to the hospital, and they did a date rape kit on her and checked her out. But it was the days following that felt like we just really needed to do something to help her. The Suttons took Michelle to the hospital to get checked out. She had bruises on her legs. The police were called, but no charges were officially brought against the boy. And so Michelle still had to see him at school. Kathy knew her daughter was struggling. At one point, she took Michelle to talk with someone at their church, hoping that would help. Kathy had been used to handling things within her family and within their church, but nothing that she did seemed to ease Michelle's pain. So she started to look for other options. Her oldest daughter, Christina, was engaged to be married, and her soon-to-be in-laws told the Suttons about an outdoor program that might help Michelle. It was a wilderness therapy program called Summit Quest, run by a woman named Gail Palmer. They said that Gail started Summit Quest to help struggling teens, teens just like Michelle. Well, at first, you know, I was kind of reluctant. I was like, I don't know. I don't think, you know, I can handle this. Michelle doesn't, you know, we don't need to have her go into a program. But as time progressed and I was kind of, I was very close to Michelle. So here, see, I'm going to cry. I could feel her pain. And I knew that she needed something that I couldn't give her. Things were getting worse as time went on. At some point, Kathy even started to suspect that Michelle might be having suicidal thoughts, although they didn't speak directly about it. There was one time we were driving in the car. I believe we were on the way to a doctor, and I kind of got this feeling. I mean, I, I sensed that she was reaching for the door handle. I didn't know if she was or wasn't. I just kind of had this feeling. And I just felt that at that time that there was some desperation in her that I needed to address. And so that's when I became that weak and desperate parent that thought I need to seek out something outside of our own resources. Kathy often uses this term, weak and desperate parent, to describe the state of mind she was in, the feeling of total helplessness. What she wanted at that time more than anything in the world was to help Michelle, but she had no idea how to do it. She started to wonder, maybe Summit Quest could be the answer to her prayers. And I reached out to a woman by the name of Gail Palmer. Subscribe to Cast Plus to listen to all episodes of Season 7 of The Opportunist ad-free now at castmedia.com slash castplus. You can follow, rate, and review The Opportunist on Apple Podcasts. It really does make a difference, so thank you. Now that it's warming up, I think it's time for me to get friendly with my razor again. And honestly, there's no better razor out there than the Athena Club razor. I actually look forward to shaving with the Athena Club razor, and that's not even in the copy. I'm just saying that because it's true. Athena Club's razor is built in with skin guards to help prevent razor burn, and it's gentle on curves. And the razor is surrounded by this water-activated serum with shea butter and hyaluronic acid, which is basically the holy grail for skincare. And the best part is that the razor kit is only $10, and it comes with two blade heads, a magnetic hook for your shower, and your choice of handle color. 
I picked Match Point Yellow. It's so bright and summery. I love it. And if you're not into bright colors, fine. They have black and white razors for you as well. With Athena Club, you never have to think about blade refills because you can set up how often you want those shipped to you. Okay, so I tried the shave foam, and it's so luxurious. I love it. It leaves my skin soft and hydrated and smooth. Show your skin you care with the Athena Club Razor Kit. Head to athenaclub.com and use code OPP for 25% off your first order. Again, that's athenaclub.com and use code OPP for 25% off. Athena Club has also launched in Target stores nationwide, so make sure to check out the shaving aisle to buy their products in-store in real life. Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Lucky Land Casino. Asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car, before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Before I met Kathy Sutton in person, we talked on the phone multiple times. And the more I heard about her story, the more I felt like I needed to go meet her in person. Her story is, of course, the story of a grieving mother, but it's also the story of someone who was betrayed. Something that still clearly bothers Kathy is how she believes Gail Palmer lied to her. Kathy Sutton is a particularly honest person. She told me when we were talking on the phone that she once returned an item to a store after buying it because they undercharged her. She wanted to pay the remainder of what she owed. Not everybody believes in not telling a lie and being deceitful, but Gail sure does. Not everybody loses a child because of it. You know, I did. I believed, I trusted, I lost. Of course, no one likes being lied to, but not all lies result in someone dying. So I sat down with Kathy, and I asked her exactly what it was that Gail Palmer told her about Summit Quest. It's been 33 years, but Kathy still has the original Summit Quest brochure from 1990. She's kept it all this time. It's printed on light blue paper, faded at this point, but legible. This is the brochure that was sent to you. Okay. The program is strenuous and rigorous, but designed to serve the needs of each individual. But that, too, was a pack of lies. And, um, yeah, in this information, you can, you can see because they also had... Um, At the top of the first page is written a series of questions. When was the last time you had a hug from your teenager? When was the last time you had a conversation with him without yelling? When was the last time she looked you in the eye? It mentions a series of issues that might be plaguing your teenager. Peer pressure, drugs, alcohol, performing poorly in school. 
suicide attempts. Then the flyer makes this promise. Summit Quest can give you back your child. I can see how this brochure would be appealing to a parent who had witnessed their child grow into a teenager who was having issues or feeling distant. This promise, we can give you back your child. It's really saying, we can give you back the child you had before, before all the problems, before all the pain. But the brochure that they sent us, and I have the... The words embedded in my brain forever is a full-time, this is how it sold to us, a full-time residential inpatient wilderness therapy facility. Qualified staff members are always, always as underlined present. Summit Quest was a nine-week program based in St. George, Utah, promoted as a way to help troubled teens by bringing them out into the wilderness and teaching them just how to survive. The brochure explains that the teens will be taught by trained survival experts and Mother Nature how to survive in the wilderness. They will learn how to build a fire, trap animals, tan leather, make pottery, build a shelter. It mentions ropes courses, teens working together, a staff psychologist. There are testimonials from elated parents who claim this program saved their children's lives. Kathy called the founder and director of Summit Quest, a woman named Gail Palmer. I was talking to her mother to mother. I felt that she uh, was sensitive to the things that I was telling her. Um, I felt comfortable talking to her. The fact that Gail's program was recommended to the Suttons by people they knew made Kathy more comfortable in considering the program. On the last page of the Summit Quest brochure, there are two pictures of Gail hugging her teen daughter, Krista, after being reunited with her when she completed the program. 21 phone calls to Gail alone is how many phone calls we had asking questions. She would bring up her daughter and how wonderfully she did through the program and how it was so great for her. That was one of the things we wanted was we wanted to know of other children that had gone through the program and even talked to them. But she even offered for us to talk to Krista. So like I say, no matter what question we asked, it was answered to us in such a way that it was very comforting and I believed her. Michelle even spoke with Krista on the phone and Krista made the program sound fun. She told Michelle, it was outdoorsy, but you only had to hike every other day and you could still take showers. This belief in Gail and Gail's program, Summit Quest, came only after Kathy asked Gail lots of questions, particularly about safety. The Summit Quest brochure states that in the first few days of the program, the children will experience mental and physical exhaustion with limited food and water. This worried Kathy and she asked Gail about it. But Gail reassured her that was meant to challenge the children, but would never be unsafe. I questioned the food, because they were rationing their food. Oh, they're not allowed to not eat. In other words, they were going to be monitoring the food that the children do eat. And just every question we asked, we were reassured in such a way that we thought, oh, there's nothing really to worry about. They got this covered. We were reassured that she would receive a physical within three days into the program. Gail told Kathy that Summit Quest was not a harsh program, that their goal was to save lives, repair relationships, and for kids to have a fun and challenging time in nature. In fact, she said Michelle would even receive school credit for it. This was all a relief to Kathy. 
She told me she didn't want Michelle punished. She wanted to help her. But remember, this was 1990. There were no internet searches, no online reviews. Kathy talked to Gail Palmer on the phone 21 times over the course of weeks, questioning every aspect of the program. She got to know Gail. She began to trust her. Kathy knew that Michelle needed help dealing with the trauma of being raped. And Gail told her they had professionals at Summit Quest, professionals who could help Michelle. Then they also sold to us that there was doctors, nurses, and a psychologist on site, on call. And we thought that would be great for Michelle as well, because I knew that it wasn't just a hands-on experience that our daughter needed. She also needed, you know, some help with what had happened to her, which was the date rape. At the end of the nine weeks after the teens have completed the program, they are reunited with their parents in a ceremony called the run-in. The teens run out of the wilderness and into an area where their parents are waiting. They literally run into their parents' arms. There are tears and hugs. I've seen recordings of run-ins from other wilderness therapy programs. They are emotional. I've also seen parents go on television and claim that this type of program did exactly what the Summit Quest brochure promised. It gave them their child back. This home video, taken when Matt's dad surprised him on his five-day solo expedition, shows what can go right. I love you. You know, I just wanted to hold him. I never wanted to let him go. John and Ann Stacy have their son home. And if the whole family works to keep it that way, Matt may be one of the best examples why a good wilderness experience can be good therapy. Kathy and Bob Sutton were hopeful that Summit Quest could be the therapy that Michelle needed, that she would run back into their arms smiling, happy, confident. But ultimately, the decision on whether or not to attend Summit Quest was left up to Michelle. Why do you think that Michelle wanted to go into the program? What did she say to you about, you know, how it might benefit her? She wanted to get tanned and buffed. Those are her exact words. She wanted to get tanned and buffed. And I wanted her to hang on, not give up. And I was hoping that it would also build her inner strength. She, too, wanted to get away from Pleasanton. That was the other thing. She wanted away from the boy who date raped her. Michelle was still attending school with the boy who raped her. She wanted to get away from that environment, to get away from Pleasanton. She wanted to heal, to be physically challenged, and to come back stronger. The idea of sending her daughter away for nine weeks or 63 days was difficult for Kathy. She worried if Michelle would be okay. She had never done anything like this before. She hadn't even put her kids in daycare. But the truth was that Kathy didn't know how to help Michelle. And a big reason why she felt comfortable with Summit Quest was Gail's LDS affiliation. When I agreed to let Michelle go into this program, I thought I was sending her to the safest state in the country, Utah. There's a lot of Mormons there. Gail's Mormon, you know. I mean, I just felt very comfortable in sending her because of that, a lot of it because of that. Kathy said Gail told her the kids would be bettering themselves physically and mentally, yes, but also spiritually. She told my mom, oh, every child will be sent out with the Book of Mormon and come back with a testimony. And so it was decided Michelle would leave for the Summit Quest program in May of 1990. 
I have one son who was a little bit envious and even maybe the word jealous that we were going to spend $14,000 on Michelle to have this experience, and he wished he could go. $14,000 in 1990 is equivalent to almost $32,000 in 2023 dollars. The Suttons lived modestly. They didn't have this kind of money laying around. But Gail told them they could submit a claim to their insurance company. Their insurance would cover 10 grand of the cost. And then the Suttons would have to figure out how to come up with the remaining 4000 which still wasn't cheap. But as Kathy said, as so many parents have said, when you are desperate to help your child, you will do anything. Don't you love an extra $100 in your pocket? Have a TurboTax expert file your taxes for you by March 31st to get $100 back instantly. Because no matter what moves you made last year, TurboTax makes them count. That means getting $100 back and 100% accurate taxes only from Intuit TurboTax. Must file by 331. Credit only applicable to federal filing fees with TurboTax full service. Offer can be modified or terminated at any time. Waiting on a tax return? Hopefully it ends up in your hands. Fraudulent tax returns due to identity theft increased by 30% in 2023. If you're in a bind this tax season, LifeLock can help. Our U.S.-based restoration specialists are experts dedicated to helping solve your identity theft issues. And all LifeLock plans are backed by the Million Dollar Protection Package. So we'll reimburse you up to the limits of your plan if you lose money due to identity theft. Help protect your information this tax season with LifeLock. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com aware. Michelle's older sister, Christina, was getting married in May of 1990. In fact, Michelle almost waited to go to Summit Quest until June so that she could attend Christina's wedding. And I have to wonder, would things have turned out differently if Michelle had waited? She had a choice to be in the program in May. I said, or you can go next month. You don't have to go because we were having her shoes dyed. We had them dyed the peach color of the dress. She had been fitted for the dress. We were hoping she'd stay home and be a good spirits and want to stay home and be in the wedding lineup. We had a dress made for her by our good friend there in Pleasanton where we lived. But uh, I think we buried her in her dress. Michelle wanted to attend the wedding. She was very close with her sister, Christina but she chose to leave instead. I think that speaks to just how desperate she was feeling, desperate for help, desperate to get away from Pleasanton and the boy who raped her. The last night that Michelle was home, they had a family dinner and watched a movie together. The next day, Michelle and Christina got on a plane to Las Vegas. Christina was on her way to Portland to prepare for her wedding, but she booked a ticket to have a stopover in Vegas so she could fly with Michelle. It was Michelle's first time on an airplane. We gave her the window seat so that she could look out the window. She was so excited. Christina told me they had a great time on the flight. Michelle was her usual goofy self. At one point, she pulled a box of maxi pads out of her bag. The brand was Stay Free. Christina snapped a picture of Michelle in this moment. Now it's a photo that she treasures. And for some reason, she thought it was funny 
to hold them up in the picture and sort of pose with them, stay free <laughs> while looking out the window and, you know, sort of pointing out the window, like, stay free. <laughs> she thought it was funny. Uh, she was such a joker. But as soon as they landed in Las Vegas, the mood changed. They met up with two people from Summit Quest. Christina called them boys during our interview, the two boys from Summit Quest. And it's not totally inaccurate to say that because oftentimes these wilderness therapy programs hired college athletes to transport the teenagers to the camp location. And then when we got there, those boys that we met took her and told me I could get lost and uh, I wasn't to talk to her anymore. And I was really angry about that because we had had such a nice flight over and a nice visit and I just wanted to visit with her more. I had a little bit of time before my next flight left and they just wanted to control her. But they were treating her like she was a criminal. Did you get to say goodbye to her? Yeah, they let me give her a hug. I gave her a big hug, of course. I told her goodbye and then I loved her. And, you know, see you soon. Yes. Yes, I got to do that. And then Michelle and Christina were separated. Christina hung around for a few minutes, watching them from afar. She and Michelle made eye contact, and she said Michelle shrugged, kind of like, well, here we go. And then Christina waved and walked away. That was the last time she saw her sister alive. And what do you what do you remember about like your first impressions meeting Michelle? Um, surprise, I guess. David Teo was one of the young men who picked up Michelle from the Las Vegas airport for Summit Quest. He remembers that pickup even thirty three years later. He remembers that Michelle was not what he expected. The briefing was she was a drug addict, and occasionally she will act out. He expected Michelle to be upset, resistant, rude. But she wasn't like that at all. She was agreeable, even nice. In 1990, David was 20 years old. He was getting his associate's degree from St. George Dixie College, where he also played football. He can't remember exactly how he heard about the job, but he said he'd worked part-time for a couple of teen rehabilitation programs, transporting participants. Unlike Michelle, who was looking forward to Summit Quest, many teens sent to wilderness therapy programs are taken by what's called a youth transport service. Oftentimes, this looks like multiple large men physically removing the child from their home against their will and forcing them into a car or onto a plane, telling them very little about where they're going and for how long. In David's mind, he was doing something good. David and the others he worked with were under the impression that these teens needed serious help and that these programs would provide it to them. Also, he remembers it paying well, between $6 and $10 an hour, which was significantly more than the minimum wage in Utah at the time, which was only $3.80 an hour. So there was no job description that came with it. Everything, there was nothing written down, right? It wasn't formalized. Everything was just verbal. I go, yeah, so what's the job like? 
oh, just ensuring that, you know, the, the child doesn't or the individual doesn't hurt themselves or the staff or anyone else. And there's no training in, in any, um, you know, approach if something did break out. David said he would just get a call and be told where to go and when, and he would show up. And in May of 1990, he got a call from Summit Quest. David and another staff member from Summit Quest drove Michelle the two hours from the Las Vegas airport to St. George, Utah. St. George is in southwest Utah, close to the Arizona border and on the edge of the Mojave Desert. It's hot, arid, a small city on the edge of this vast, wild desert. On the drive, David and Michelle talked a bit. She has a religious background that's same to mine. And so that, to me, I was like, I, I felt a little, you know, connection just because of that, because she's of LDS faith. And I'm like, well, I hope, I hope it works for you. David liked Michelle, and he hoped that whatever help she was looking for, she would find. But he also felt concerned, knowing that she was about to go out into the desert. David personally knew how punishing the St. George environment could be from grueling football practices. And he remembers wondering if Michelle knew what she was getting into, if she was ready for an intensive outdoor program in St. George. To me, that wilderness was an extreme environment because we know also St. George is one of the hottest places in Utah, especially during the summer. It gets over 100 degrees very fast, very easy. And, you know, if you are not ready for it, you know, it can cause some problems. So just looking at her from that point of view, I'm like, she's physically not ready to just get transitioned and put out into that environment. My personal opinion. And then where did you drop Michelle off that day? Um, It was a facility in St. George. That's where we dropped her off. So some other staffers came out, took her, and they're all in their wilderness hiking gear. You just know that they look like they just came out from hiking. So that's the last time I saw her. The Suttons were not allowed to have contact with Michelle while she was in the program. The participants did not have access to phones. They were allowed to write letters, and the Suttons were told they would receive letters from Michelle once she reached the third week of the program. Christina got married on May 5th. They all wished Michelle could be there. But the wedding was beautiful and went off without a hitch. A few days later, Kathy called Gail to check in on Michelle. And she was told that Michelle was thriving, that she had become a leader amongst the other kids. Gail told my mom that, oh, Michelle's just the little mother of the group. You know, she's taking care of everybody. And how did it make you feel to get that update, that good update? That was just fabulous. I mean, that sounded just like her, that she was taking care of others, and being the little mother hen. That was so Michelle. I did call and ask, oh, Kathy, she's the mother of the camp. Real trooper, leadership qualities. What the Suttons didn't know is that Michelle was already in crisis, her life at risk. Kathy had no way of contacting her daughter outside of calling Gail. And Gail put her mind at ease, told her, don't worry, Everything's fine. So, more lies. She's a good liar, just really good liar. Four days into Christina's honeymoon, the phone rang. And it was my dad, and he never cries. But he was definitely not stable. You know, you could hear in his voice it was trembling. 
and I couldn't quite understand what he was saying. The words sounded foreign. This was May 10th, 1990. Gail Palmer called Bob Sutton on the phone to tell him that Michelle had died. And then shortly after that, three men from the Sutton's church arrived at their door to comfort them. Here's Kathy again. I, don't, I just remember my, my children were there too. Uh, my husband my husband received a phone call. He walked outside and uh, when he came back in, I could see on his face that something horrible was wrong. He kind of led me back into the house and then it was told to me what had happened. And uh, I fell to my knees and I prayed. And one of the answers I received was, something good will come from this. Kathy doesn't remember exactly what she was told in those first couple of days about how or why Michelle died. She was in a cloud of shock and grief, but she knows that it was called an accident, a bizarre, potentially unexplainable accident. And she was also told that Michelle had wanted to die. But in the months that would follow, Kathy would come to believe that none of what she had been told was true. This was not an accident. And she would start to question the woman behind the program, Gail Palmer. She used her motherly instincts and also she used my church affiliation to convince me that everything was on the up and up with her program. I can't help but think about that blue faded Summit Quest flyer and all of the promises it made to hopeful and desperate parents. But the very first one listed on the flyer is this. Summit Quest can give you back your child. A promise broken. And it wasn't just Michelle. There would be more deaths. One person I spoke with called them murders. Unraveling the truth about Michelle's death would be the first step in Kathy's quest for justice. The next step would be to expose Gail Palmer. She had duped me into getting my daughter into her program. She had duped Michelle as well. These people are cruel, they're inhumane, and many of them are liars and will, you know, just don't care really about the children. It's the money, the money. But Gail Palmer would not go down without a fight. How was it that she was able to operate this program? And what was it that made it so deadly? That's on this season of The Opportunist. You know, and nobody cared that they were dying. Did you, did your counselors, Gail Palmer, push this 15-year-old girl to her death? No, of course they didn't. Then what killed 15-year-old Michelle Sutton? We don't know. She didn't die because she was in the desert. She probably would have died if she was walking down the street. I remember just this sense of horror of like, oh my God, I'm never gonna get out of here. I'm trapped. There is nobody gonna come save me. The Opportunist is a cast original podcast. It's produced by me, Hannah Smith, Natalie Gregory, Peisha Eaton, and Sarah Dalglish. Colin Thompson is our executive producer. Anton Doty is our editor and music editor. The show is mixed and mastered by Matt Sewell. The Opportunist show cover art is by Joel Hassmeyer. 
Our theme song is Waltz for Zachariah from the album Chalate. Special thanks to Adele Park from Audio Recording St. George. Do you have a suggestion for the show, an opportunist that you want us to cover? You can email us at theopportunist at castmedia.com. Subscribe to Cast Plus to listen ad-free with bonus episodes at castmedia.com slash castplus. Follow, rate, and review The Opportunist on Apple Podcasts. You can also listen ad-free on Amazon Music. Don't you love an extra $100 in your pocket? Have a TurboTax expert file your taxes for you by March 31st to get $100 back instantly. Because no matter what moves you made last year, TurboTax makes them count. That means getting $100 back and 100% accurate taxes only from Intuit TurboTax. Must file by 331. Credit only applicable to federal filing fees with TurboTax full service. Offer can be modified or terminated at any time. Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.